0: If you got your Bible this morning, go ahead and turn to the book of Revelation. We're going to be in chapter three. Moving right along, y'all. Pray for me this morning. I uh, woke up with some drainage, and my voice has been kind of coming and going, and so I'm, um, I'm going to have to try to preach quiet for a change. That's right. I'm going to try. Um, if I get to preaching too loud, my voice is probably going to leave, and then um, Nick's going to have to finish for me, and nobody wants that, so um, <clears throat> I'm just kidding. I know I know he would do a fantastic job. Hoping for a short sermon today, amen. We... Um, <laughs> So, Revelations chapter 3, we're going to read verse 7 through 13. When you get there, if you would stand one more time. I know we stand a lot, but um, would you stand one more time? If you have the means and you're able. If you need to stay seated, God understands. Revelations chapter 3, we'll read verse 7 through 13. It says this, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, "...the words of the Holy One, the True One, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name." Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from God out of heaven, and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches." You can be seated. Amen. Amen. Today we have the privilege of studying Christ's Word to the faithful church of Philadelphia. Um, We don't really have a whole lot of history on this church, so I'll just uh, be very brief on just a few little things. Uh, One thing is that it was formed by a king that uh, had a very strange love for his brother. Uh, now I don't know what that means. All I know is that that's the way the history books teach us is that the city of Philadelphia here was founded by a, a king. I think his name was um, Attalus, King Attalus, But he established this uh, city and because he had a very strange love for his own brother, the, the, um, the history books tell us that he was nicknamed Philadelphia. And that's what the word Philadelphia means. It means brotherly love. And so, because he was nicknamed Philadelphia and he founded this city, this city actually um, took on that name, his nickname, and it became known as the city of Philadelphia. And we don't really have a whole lot of information other than it was a city that was destroyed by uh, volcanoes and earthquakes on a pretty regular basis, and it was built back, destroyed, built back, destroyed, and built back, but... um, that, doesn't, that context doesn't help us a lot with understanding Jesus' words to them. Many times when we study these uh, churches, the context of the city really helps us to see what the, the, the letter is talking about. And you'll see that next week, if the Lord wills. You'll see that next week in Laodicea when He talks about, because you're neither hot nor cold, I will spew you out of my mouth. That, there's some context in that city that is really going to help you understand why Jesus said that. But uh, this week, we're just going to study through this letter. But the main thing you need to know is this. This was a church that the Lord Jesus saw as a faithful congregation. They were a church that they received absolutely no condemnation. Most every other church other than the church of Smyrna received a a pretty serious condemnation of some kind. But this church receives no condemnation whatsoever. And, And that's a beautiful thing because... We know that there is no such thing as a perfect church, right? And the reason there's no such thing as a perfect church is because there's no such thing as a perfect... And churches are made up of people, individuals. And so we are a hospital for sinners that know they're sick and they're looking for help. And so that is what a church is. And so I love the fact that Jesus can look at a church full of sinners not perfect, and yet He can have no condemnation for them. And when I see that, the first thing that comes to my mind is I want to know what was it about this church that they had that the Lord Jesus saw and commended them for it so that there was absolutely no condemnation. Now, you as a Christian... Wouldn't you love to be the church or the person that Jesus writes a letter to and the only thing He has to say to you is commending you for the things that you're doing even though you're not perfect, even though you still struggle with sin? This is a beautiful, beautiful thing that we get to study this morning. They are commended by the Lord as being small in power and yet they're obedient, they're loyal, they're unashamed, they are patiently enduring in their faith. This is the faithful church, not the perfect church, but the faithful church. This is a church I believe we're going to see is fighting the good fight of faith. When Paul was on his deathbed and he was, he was fixing to, to meet his maker, he makes this statement. He says that, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And I have kept the faith. And finally... There is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord will give to me and to all those who love Him on that day. And so what I see here is this is a church that they're fighting the good fight. Listen guys, I want you to understand something. If you are a Christian this morning and there is not a daily fight in you with your sin, with the things that this world has to offer. If there is not a daily fight in you, I'm telling you, you're missing something. This is a church that is fighting the good fight. This is a church that is running a race. They haven't finished it yet, but they're running it. And this is a church that is keeping the faith. They, they are doing all of the things that Christ would look at and expect from a sinner who's been called out of darkness by the gospel of Christ into the light. They are doing it. They are fighting the good fight. They are running the race. They are keeping the faith. And these are the things that we want to study and see what it is that this looks like so that we can have this in our life. As we've studied these seven churches of Revelations, this is number six. We'll get to number seven next week, Lord willing. As we study these seven churches, we've seen strong churches, and we've seen weak churches. We've seen uh, that the churches that look to be the strongest, at least to the human eye, are actually the churches that are declared the weakest or maybe even dead by Christ Himself. And vice versa, the churches that seem to be the weakest to the human eye are actually the churches that Christ declares to be the strongest. And so one lesson we can take from this, now this is not... um, Uh, this is not an all-the-time thing, but one lesson we can take is that as far as what our eye would look at a church and see, man, that church has it going on. This church has it together. Be careful, because what we're learning here is that a lot of times, that's not the case. What the human eye actually sees as strengths, God sees as weaknesses. And what the human eye typically sees as weaknesses, God sees as strengths. And so this is a very important lesson for us to see in this. Let me show you just a few scriptures so you see it. Revelations chapter 3, verse 1. He says, um, I think it's 3.1. Yeah, he says, And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. And so we see there that the reputation of the world as far as they saw it This is a live church. And yet Jesus comes in and says, I'm sorry, you're not alive. Actually, you're dead. And what little remains alive is dying if you don't do something about it. Revelations 3, verse 16 and 17, look what He says. This is in Laodicea. We had not got here yet. But He says, So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of My mouth. And here's why. For you say, I am rich... I have prospered. I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. And so what we see here is this church that seems to be rich, prospering, growing. It has all of the things that the world would look at going for it. And yet Jesus looks at it and says, You don't even realize that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. And so we see here that the strongest churches as far as the world would see it actually are the weakest churches. Now again, I want to be very careful. I'm not saying that just because a church is large and has many members and many ministries and it has a lot going for it that we automatically now from the Word of God can look at it and say, that's a weak church. No, that's not true. That's not true at all. And we're going to see what the difference between strength and weaknesses is. But we do see that a lot of times, this is the way that, that the Lord portrays it. Uh, Revelations chapter 2, verse 9. Another scripture that you need to see. He said, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. So this was a church that they had trials all around. It looked like they were just being destroyed from the inside out. He says, I know your tribulation, I know your poverty, but the truth of it is, you're rich. And that's important to be able to see. Because the world looks at it, they see weakness. And yet God looks at it and He sees strength. Revelation chapter 3, verse 8, this will be the last one. He says, I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Look what he said. I know that you have but little power. This was a little church, this was a small church. They didn't have a whole lot of talented, strong people. They didn't have the greatest preachers or the greatest singers. They didn't have the best Sunday school programs or or the best outreaches. They didn't really have a lot going for them. The truth of it is, Jesus looks at them and says, I know that you actually have little power, little power, little strength, but you keep my word and you don't deny my name. And because of that, you're actually strong. And so again, what we see in the pattern is that when we would look at it and we would see, well, I'm struggling and I feel so insignificant and I feel so small and I feel so unusable sometimes and I feel like I have nothing to offer God. Anybody? Amen. Those are the very attitudes that Christ comes along beside of and walks beside of and says, let me show you just exactly who you are. Let me show you the strength that you actually have in me. And this is a very important lesson for us to learn. The strongest churches to the human eye are actually the weakest. The weakest churches to the human eye are actually the strongest and the same is true for individuals as well. And we see from the Bible that this is a pattern that God typically follows and He does it so that He alone gets the glory. He means for you to be this way. Listen, do you know what you were created from? What? What? You are dust. The psalm actually says, we are but dust. And sometimes I like to put those together and say we are but dust. But anyway, you are dust. That's the main thing you need to know here. That means that you are dirt. Now, I'm not trying to put you down this morning. I'm just trying to put things into perspective here. Without God and without His source of life, without Him breathing His Spirit in you, without Him giving you strength, giving you life, you can do nothing. You are nothing more than dirt. That's what you are. And so we have to keep this into perspective so that we can see that God means for us to recognize what we are so that He can come along beside of us and empower us by His presence Spirit, by his power, by his strength, by his guidance, and when we do that, then he alone gets the glory for it all. And that's why we were created to begin with. Let me show you a few examples in scripture to show you this. First Corinthians chapter one, verse twenty-five through thirty-one. Listen to what this says. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And here's why in verse, thir- in verse 29. Here's why He does this. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Listen to me, you creatures from the dust. We have no boast other than the fact that in Jesus Christ, we are who we are. That's it. There is no other boast to have. Look at another scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8 through 10. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says here. <clears throat> Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in what? God's power is made perfect in your weakness, not your strength. Listen, God didn't need Samson's muscles. He didn't need them. God didn't need Gideon's thousands and thousand member army. And he weeded them down to 300. God did not need the Israelite army to defeat Goliath. And yet He used a young ruddy boy, as the Bible declared him, a shepherd that was not even a warrior to defeat this Goliath. God's power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, look what He says next. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, with insults, with hardships, with persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. One more, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32. He says, And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson... Jephthah of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms. How'd they do it? Through faith. They enforced justice through faith. They obtained promises through faith. They stopped the mouths of lions through faith. They quenched the power of fire and escaped the edge of the sword through faith. And look at this next part. Were made what? Strong out of weakness. God didn't need their strength. Daniel didn't close the lion's mouths. David didn't defeat Goliath. Moses didn't part the Red Sea. Out of their weakness, Moses couldn't even speak. You remember what what Moses said to God when when God said, hey, I'm going to use you to go do this and the first thing you're going to do is just go talk to Pharaoh. You remember what Moses said? But Lord, I can't speak out of weakness because of faith made strong. This is vital for you to see this. Now, this doesn't mean that God doesn't use strong, talented people or even call them that away sometimes. But He will always cause the strong, talented people to be emptied of themselves first before they bring anything to God because even their strength and their talent, God gave them. God gave them. And so, we have to understand that Whenever God calls us, it's not because of who we are or what we have to offer. No, you have to be emptied of all that, and God will make you strong in your weakness. And God does it so that He alone gets the glory, and so that no human being will ever be able to look before God and say, look what I did for you. Look what I did. Look who I am. This is a huge issue. Humility is a huge issue for us. So we're not saying, listen... I'm not saying that the church needs more dumb people. I'm not saying that if more of you were uglier and more of you were non-talented and, and, and if more of you didn't have anything to offer, then, then that's how we make God more glorious in Wales Baptist Church. If that's what you're hearing... That's not the lesson that we're trying to get across. But I do want you to understand that there are many times that God chooses these very kinds of people for His service because they have the least amount of temptations of boasting before God about anything. David would never be able to stand before before the armies of Israel and say, Well, never. He didn't even... Use the armor that Saul wanted him to use. He approached this giant with nothing but a sling and a stone. And his statement was, God is going to lay this man to rest. Just that simple. It was faith. By faith out of his weakness, he was made strong. We have to be emptied of ourselves. And we have to become weak in this way. Because this is a good weakness to have. When we recognize that I have nothing to offer God. It is His strength that makes me who I am. I am dust. That's what I am. And without Him, I am nothing. And we have to keep that mindset. See, that's opposite of what the world wants to teach you today. The world wants to teach you, and it sounds like wisdom when you hear it. The world wants to teach you, you need to know who you are. You need to understand your strength. You need, to, you need to understand that you are beautifully and wonderfully made and all of those things have a level of truth to them. But what you need to understand is that apart from God, you are nothing. Nothing. And the only reason I'm, beautifully and wonderful, uh, only reason I'm beautiful and wonderful is because He made me. The only reason I am strong is because He is strong. Listen. God never, there, there's, there's famous songs out there today that have this saying in it that says, you say I am strong when I say, when I think I am weak. Let me explain something to you. No, He didn't. God never said you are strong. Not a single time. You know what God said? God said, without me, you are nothing. But through Christ's strength, I can do anything. It is Christ that strengthens me. It is Christ's power that lives in me. And without me, I am nothing. Listen, these people were all made strong out of their weaknesses. Think about David before he was king and after he was king. When David first comes on the scene, the Bible describes him as this young, ruddy, freckle-faced, red-headed kid that is, um, is a shepherd. He keeps sheep. Matter of fact, whenever they were looking for the king, Jesse had, I think it was six others. I think it was uh, seven total, I believe is what it was. Don't quote me on that. He had six or seven children. And all the boys that they brought before Samuel to see which one God wanted wanted to pronounce as king, Samuel brought the best-looking one, the oldest and the strongest, muscular-looking one first. And and whenever he comes up, Samuel says, that's him right there. That's the one. And you remember what God said? That ain't him. Don't look at him and his outward appearance and his strengths and his muscles and what he has to offer because I have actually rejected him. God doesn't look at man the way that you look at man. God looks at the heart. And he goes through all of Jesse's kids and finally Samuel says, Listen, this this can't be it. There has to be another one. And even Jesse's family didn't believe it would have been David because they said, Well... Yeah, there is one more, but listen, he's down here keeping sheep. He's a nobody. He's nothing. And Samuel said, bring him to me. And he brought him to me. And you remember what God said? He's the one. And then this is the guy that comes and he defeats Goliath by faith. He actually tells them, he says, when I was a kid... He said the lion and the bear would come to take the sheep and I would catch them by the beard and, and the Lord gave me strength to kill them. That's exactly what he said. But then, do you remember what happened once David became king and he got the big army and God said, don't, don't count your army. Don't worry about how many people you have. I'm your strength. Do you remember what David did? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. He wanted to see how big his army was. And that was one of his first downfalls. And then he wasn't young and ruddy anymore, but he was the good-looking king of all Israel. And now he's laying in his bed one evening and he gets up and he walks out on the balcony and he looks and there's this beautiful lady down here bathing. And y'all know the story. He goes and he takes this woman to, to, for himself and then he tries to kill her husband, one of his best friends in the battle. And, and so all of these strengths that all of a sudden now he thinks he has, they actually lead him away from God. And yet the weaknesses are in the time that he leans mostly on God. And so this is why God does what He does. He chooses people that understand their weaknesses first, that understand that I'm nothing, I don't have nothing to offer Him. And then He uses those kind of people because they have the least amount of temptations to step aside and leave God and say, I don't need you anymore, I'm going to go my own way. And yet He still uses Samson's, but you know what He has to do to Samson's? He has to break them down. He has to destroy them. He has to teach them that they have no power and no strength in and of themselves. You remember what happened at the end of Samson's life? He has no eyes. He has no strength. He has nothing left. He's chained to two pillars in the Philistine temple. And finally, he reaches the place to where God can use him. And he says, God, I don't have anything to offer. I can't do anything. But if you'll strengthen me one more time in your power... I'll destroy these Philistines. And you remember what happened? God used him. God used him. And so what we see is that when God looks at little strength, He's not saying that you're, you're just hopeless and helpless. He's saying that I want you in a place to where you understand that without me, you are nothing. I don't want you to raise your hand this morning. When I ask this, I don't want to embarrass nobody. But I wonder how many of you got up out of the bed this morning and didn't even acknowledge that God gave you breath to breathe. I wonder how many of you have made it all the way to church this morning and you've not yet said your first prayer and talked to Him at all until we prayed as the worship team prayed up here earlier. That is an evidence that we honestly are in a place to where we believe in our minds, God, we don't need You. We wouldn't just come out and say it. You wouldn't just come out and say, God, I don't need You. But how many of you know that we do it every day? Listen, when you're able to put food on your table every, every day and every night, many of you don't even give God a second thought. I try to be very careful whenever I pray for my food and I try to always remind myself and tell God, God, thank You that You have provided for me today. Because I know that not everybody in the world has it this way. There are mothers and fathers today, right now, that cannot feed their children. But by the grace of God and that alone, I have been given the strength to be able to feed myself and my children. And I try to remind myself, and God, every time we sit down and eat, I try to remind myself, God, thank you, because I know that it's only by your grace that this is possible. You think about it. What's the difference between you and the person born in Guatemala that can't feed their children? Did you deserve it and they didn't? Did God know something about you before you were born that he he didn't know about them and he said, well, I'm going to bless this one and I'm not going to bless this one? No, so what's the difference? The only difference is grace. What is grace? Undeserved mercy, right? You didn't deserve it any more than the next one. But God, by His grace, He gave it to you. And we have to keep in mind that everything that we have is a gift of God's grace. And we have to be emptied of ourselves and understand that God can only use us for His glory the way that He would desire to use us whenever we empty ourselves of ourselves and rely completely on Him. And so this is what describes this church at Philadelphia. They're a church with little strength. They aren't a big church. They don't have a, a lot of wonderful talents and a lot of things that, um, that are going on in the church and a lot of different people uh, that, that, that just have so much to offer. But they're a faithful church. They're a church that just relies on God and he has no condemnation for them, only commendation. So let's go through the letter and let's see what, what we see in the outline. The first thing we see in Revelation chapter 3, verse 7 is the author's introduction. He introduces himself. This is usually pretty important because he wants, you to, he wants this church to see him in the way that they need to see him for whatever area he's dealing with here. So we're going to see how this ties together. The first thing... He says that this is to the angel of the church in Philadelphia or the messenger of the church. These are the words of the Holy One. These are the words of the Holy One. What's he trying to say right there? This is the one who is completely set apart from everything else in every way. Now this is going to be important to understand because basically what he's saying is, I'm God. God is holy. There is none holy but God. And basically what he wants him to understand is that I am God. You're going to see here in a few minutes that the Jews from the synagogue who were supposedly God's chosen, the Jews who were supposedly the ones that were following God, they had rejected these Christians. They were persecuting these Christians and they were God's children. And God comes on the scene in Christ here and He says to them, listen, I am the Holy One. I am God. There is none like me. There is none but me. I and I alone am God. You might remember whenever uh, Moses was um, in front of the burning bush and God told him, "He said, Moses, take your sandals off, take your shoes off. You remember why? Because the, the ground in which you stand is holy ground. Well, what was different in that ground than any other ground? God had set that ground apart for His purpose. Whenever, whenever uh, they made the, the things for the temple, all the articles and the lampstands and the table for showbread and the, the Ark of the Covenant and all the different things, and God said, set it apart for it is holy. You know what He meant? He meant that there is nothing like it. It is for a specific purpose. It is completely set apart from all other utensils, from all other lampstands. This one is special. There's nothing like it. And when God says, I am holy... What he is saying is, what will you compare to me? Nothing. To what will you liken me? Nothing. He wants you to understand that there is no one like him. There is nothing like him. He is in a category all by himself. Everything that is came from him. And so here he says to them, I am God, the Holy One. And then he goes on next. He says, I am the true one. Now this doesn't mean that he speaks truth, even though that's correct. This comes from a Greek word which means genuine. It means the real deal. Now why is that important? Because the Jews are claiming they serve the real deal. They're claiming they serve the real deal. They're persecuting these guys for not being serving the true and living God. And Jesus comes on the scene and He reaffirms to them. He says, I am the holy one. And I am the real deal. I am the genuine God and the only God. And then next he says, I am the one who has the key of David. This is an Old Testament reference from the book of Isaiah 22, verse 15 through 22. I'll read it for you very quick. He says, Thus says the Lord God of hosts, Come, go to this steward, to Shebna, who is over the household, and say to him, What have you to do here? And whom have you here that you have cut out here a tomb for yourself? You who cut out a tomb on the height and carve a dwelling for yourself in the rock. Now I'll finish here in just a minute. Let me tell you what's going on. Shebna is the steward of the king. He has the only key to the access to the king and he has the only key to the access to the king's treasury and all that the king has. And now he has brought himself to a place of pride instead of a servant. He's brought himself to a place of pride that he says, I belong to rest with the kings when my days are ended. And so he goes and he carves out for himself a tomb fit for a king to dwell with the kings in his his death. And God comes on the scene here through Isaiah and he says, What are you doing? This is pride in you. You're trying to think that you're something when you're nobody. And so he says here in uh, verse 17, look where he goes next. Behold, the Lord will hurl you away violently, O you strong man. He will seize firm hold on you and whirl you around and around and throw you like a ball into a wide land. And there you shall die and there shall be your glorious chariots, you shame of your master's house. I will thrust you from your office and you will be pulled down from your station. In verse 20, look what he says. In that day I will call my servant Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, and I will clothe him in your robe and will bind your sash on him, and will commit your authority to his hand. And he shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to the house of Judah. And I will place on his shoulder the key of the house of David. He shall open, and none shall shut. He shall shut, and none shall open. And here's what you need to understand. The key of David was the access to the king himself, and the access to the king's treasury and all that the king had. And he had the authority to open it to whomever he will. And if he opened it, no one had the power to shut it. And if he closed it, you weren't getting to it. If he closed it, you could not get to the king and you could not get to his treasury. But in Revelation chapter 3 again, he says, I am the one who has the key of David who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one will open. So ultimately, here's what he says when you put it all together. I am God, the Holy One. I am the genuine God, the real deal. And I have absolute power to give access to the kingdom of God and all of its treasures, and I have the authority to shut it and give access to whomever I choose not to. And this is very important for them to understand. So with that in mind, let's go on down and let's look at the commendation. As I told you before, there's no condemnation as we would normally see here. So let's go to the commendation. In verse 8, he says, I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power. Here's one of the things that I want to start looking at in the commendation. What was it that made this church a faithful church? What was it that they had that they received no condemnation? Because I want that. I want that. Very much so. And the first thing he says here is that you have but little power. In other words, they were a humble church. They were a church that recognized that without Him, they were nothing. They literally felt so insignificant, so small. They recognized that they were wretched, that they were pitiful, that, 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 they, were, that they were poor, blind, and naked. And a lot of people in the world today view that as a bad thing. They say, well, you got low self-esteem. You need to feel better about yourself. No, the only way you feel better about yourself is when Christ comes into your life and makes your life now becomes His life. Now we can feel good about ourselves because now we're something. And the only reason we're something is because He is something and He lives in me. But this is a church that recognized that without Him, I am wretched, poor, blind, pitiable, naked, I'm nothing without Him. They had but little power. They had to depend on God for everything that they did. Listen, humility desires for God to get all the credit for everything. You will know when you're humble because you will depend on God for the breath that you breathe. You will depend on God for... Um, the health that you have, for the muscles in your, in your legs. And sometimes God has to bring us to a place to get us to where in our weakness we have no choice but to depend on Him because I can't do it. You remember what happened to Samson, right? Sometimes that has to happen to people that have a little talent, that have, um, that have a little health, that have a little ability. He has to remind you, no you don't. You don't have nothing unless I give it to you. Are y'all with me this morning? Humility desires for God to get all the credit for everything. Remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 29, he said that God chooses all the humble things of this world so that no human being can boast in His presence. God desires for Him alone to get the glory. That's why He created all this to begin with. That's what our sin is. All have sinned in what? Of? So we have to remember our pride is why we don't want God. Our pride is why we don't acknowledge God. In Romans chapter 1, our pride is the root of all of our issues. Our heart says, God, I don't need you because we think we have strength. We think we have lungs. We think we have muscles. We think we have jobs. We think we have money. We think we can provide for ourselves. Do you realize that you cannot even take a breath on your own? You are dust. That's what you are. And God gives you strength, God gives you ability. God gives you jobs. God gives you food. God gives you everything that you have. And without Him, you are nothing. And we have to be reminded of that. The Bible says everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, will be brought low. But everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. That's a good warning to me because it reminds me that I don't have to wait until God humbles me. I can humble myself. And the way that I humble myself I recognize who I am. See, I need to know who I am. And I need to know who He is. And when I know who I am, and when I know who He is, I can get things in perspective where I can humble myself and I can cry out to Him that He gives me strength to get up out of the bed. I can cry out to Him that He gives me air to breathe. I can cry out to Him that He gives me a job to provide. I can cry out to Him that He gives me the, uh, the food that, that I need for my family on my table. But how many of us, y'all, I wish I could get a witness without embarrassing you this morning. How many of us go through day after day, minute after minute, hour after hour, week after week, how many of us go through our life and never acknowledge that we have nothing without Him? That's just the facts of it. And so we have to come to this place to where we humble ourselves. This is the faithful church. Church, we have to be a group of individuals that maintain this this humbling of ourselves. We empty ourselves. We wake up every morning and we cry out to Him before anything else because without you, I can't even open my eyes. And these are the kind of people that they were. They knew how small they were. They knew how insignificant they were. They knew they didn't really have anything to offer God. Guys, listen to me. I don't care what strengths and abilities you think you have. You don't have anything to offer God. God does not need you. But He wants you. But He wants you. And that's important that you understand this. The next thing we see... They were an obedient church. They were an obedient church. Look what he says. I know that you have but little power, and yet, I love those, those key little words in there. I know that you have but little power, and yet, you have kept my word. <laughs> I know that you don't have much to offer. I know that you understand you're poor, wretched, miserable, and blind. You know, I, I, one of the greatest things to heaven about me, one of the greatest things that I celebrate about heaven, is that it's a place to where I don't have to fight with my sin anymore. I don't have to fight with my stupid flesh anymore and the things that it desires in this sinful world. I hate the things that my heart desires. I hate the things that my eyes want to go toward. I hate the things that I know these are dishonoring to God and why He created me. And yet, there is something inside of me that wants it. Y'all with me this morning? I hate that. And I am so thankful that in heaven I have a new heart and I have a new mind that is cleansed from all of that and only wants what God wants. I love that and I'm so thankful for that. But right now, I'm in the fight of faith. Remember, he said, I have fought the fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And so right now, he says here that it's good that you recognize that you are wretched. It's good that you recognize that you have desires that are ungodly. It's good that you recognize that without me you can do nothing. But there are a lot of people that just lay down in that. He says, you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word. You fought the fight. You finished. You you were running the race. You are keeping the faith. This is what it looks like. A humble person, and yet by the power of God and the strength that God provides, they are keeping the word of God. They are following God. They're trusting and they're fighting with their sin. They're at war with their passions and their desires. And they are listening to Jesus. And when He teaches them something, they say, God, forgive me. And they start making changes and making corrections. That is what it means to fight the good fight. That's what it means to keep the faith. But there are so many people that you fall short on the first one. Maybe you got humility, and yet you don't keep His Word, you don't obey Him. You don't try to follow him. John chapter 14, verse 23 through 24. Listen to what he said. He said, Jesus answered him If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. He says here that true humility, true love for Christ is a person that hears the Word of God and even though he has to fight to keep it, he fights. He hears the Word and he believes it. This is the fight of faith. I know y'all have heard me say this a million times and listen to me, you're going to hear it a million more, okay? But this is vital. How did the lame man get up and walk? Did he have the strength to do it? Did he have any power in and of himself to walk? No, he was lame from birth. If he could have done it, he would have already done it. If a doctor could have done it, they would have already done it. So how did he do it? He heard the Word of God. What was the Word of God? And knowing that he didn't have the power, he had two choices. He can either look back at Jesus and go, you can't tell me to do that. I don't have no power to get up and walk and he can keep laying there. Or... He can listen to the Word of Jesus that says get up and walk and He can say, you know what? He knows I'm lame. He knows I can't walk. And yet He commands me to walk. He must have the power to make me walk. And in that belief and in that faith, He trusts the Word of God that He who commands me also has the power to make it happen. And what does He do? He gets up and He walks. Not in His strength, not in His ability, not in anything that He is, in faith. In faith, God makes strong out of weakness. And we have to understand that this is what is going on right here. They were a humble church, and yet by faith, they were an obedient church. You maybe this morning are a humble church, maybe. And yet, maybe not walking in faith to move toward obedience. You're like that lame man. You hear the command of God. You hear Him when He says, turn the other cheek. You hear Him when He says, love your enemies. You hear Him when He says, forgive others. You you hear Him when He says, love one another. You hear Him when He says, be long-suffering with others. Be gentle. Be kind. Be compassionate. Be tender-hearted. You hear Him. But instead, when that opportunity comes for you to follow that command, what do you do? you would like that lame man. You sit there and you go, I wished I could. I love what you say. Man, it sounds good to walk. Sounds great to walk, but I just can't do it. I just can't be forgiving. I just can't be kind. I just can't be long suffering. I just can't be compassionate. I just can't be what you command me to be. And let me tell you something that is humility and unfaithfulness. What we want here is what this church has. We want humility that recognizes I am weak. I am lame. I don't have the ability to forgive. It's not in my heart to be long-suffering. Anybody? It's not in my heart to be tender-hearted. It's not in my heart to be compassionate. It's not in my heart to be kind. And yet, you command me to do so. And if you command me to do so you also must have the power to make it come to pass. And so by faith, I'm going to get up and I'm going to do what you tell me to do even though I'm not anything in and of myself. Y'all picking up what I'm putting down? This is a humble church and yet through faith, this is an obedient church. I love those two key words. You have but little power and yet you have kept my word. I'm going to go through um, one more and then we're going to... Can we just spend two weeks on another church? Y'all okay with that? (laughs) Guess what? Even if you ain't, I'm going to do it anyway. (laughs) The third thing I want you to notice from this same verse. He said, Behold, you have but little power, and yet you have kept My word and have not denied My name. This is a church that is humble, This is a church that is by faith obedient. This is a church that is unashamed of Jesus Christ and His name. And they are loyal. Now this is important. I'm going to throw something real simple out here at you. You ever went to the restaurant to eat? (coughs) Y'all already know where I'm going, don't you? You ever went to the restaurant to eat and... um, and maybe it's your habit, I hope it is. Uh, it's not a anyway. maybe you go to the restaurant and it's your habit to pray for your food before they come. but how many of you tried to try to get that prayer in there when when nobody's around nobody's looking and the waiter or the waitress is not going to come back and you try to you try to get that prayer in at just the right time and then you try to make it short and and quick enough so that you can just get this thing in so that the waiter don't walk back up about the time that you're praying don't raise your hand that's just one simple example there's a young man that called me a few weeks ago and he was talking to me about uh, um, about some um, workers that he was having some issues with uh, um, just uh, their language and stuff that they were using, the, um, using God's name in a very profane way, and uh, just really troubled him. And um, he said, um, he said, you know, I said, I, I I've got this big old honking Bible, and he said, man, I just bring this thing to work with me. He said, I tote this thing in there. He said, I am, I am, I want people to see that that not just that I live it out, but I want them to see that 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 I'm bold enough to bring this in here with me, and that this is what I live by, and this is my standard. And, and, and so some people might call that pride, and for some people it could be. Some people could be want to be one of those Christians that you want everybody to see you praying. You want everybody to see you and your big, big Bible, and how thick it is and how many notes you keep in it. And so they, this could be a sense of pride. But what I'm getting at here is this was a church and this was a family that they were unashamed of the name of Jesus. They were very thankful to be named by the name of Christ. They were very grateful for Him to be their Lord. And yet, this is something that for a lot of us, when the world looks at us, we don't want them to see these things. We're okay if they know we're a Christian, but we don't want to really just put it out there on display. And this is what Jesus says about things like that. He said, if you are ashamed of Me before men, I will be ashamed of you before My Father and His angels in heaven. He said, but if you confess Me before men... I will confess you before my Father who is in heaven. Jesus desires for people to be a people who are unashamed of Him. People who who, um, are glad and happy to be called by His name, to be walking in His ways, to be living in His light. And we need to be the kind of people, if we're going to be a faithful church that Jesus commends and not condemns, we're going to be a people that is humble. And we understand that We're dust. And without you, I'm nothing. I can't even open my eyes in the morning. I can't even keep my children safe. How many of you know that you even have no power to keep your children safe? And yet if something were to happen to them, what would it do to you? And you walk every day like you have the power to keep them safe. Instead of crying out to the one and the only one that has any power to do anything. And so we need to be a humble church and a humble people, a people that rely completely on God, a people that understand I have but little power and yet I keep His Word. Not because of any strength I have, I'm lame. That's what I am. From my birth, I am lame. But by faith in His Word, I keep it. I keep His Word because if He commands it, He has the power to make it come to pass in my life, so I just do it. Even if my heart don't feel it, even if I'm not quite there yet, I I keep His Word. That's it. And so they're an obedient people, and then they are an unashamed people. They are very thankful and very happy and very glad for the world to know that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, and without Him, I can do nothing. And every waiter in Giles County needs to know that. Every waitress in the world needs to understand this. And if I can be a witness to this world, to that, all of my workmates in my work need to understand that without Him, I can do nothing. That's why I bring this big honking Bible into work with me every day. That's why I live according to its standards. That's why I follow this path that I'm following. I am unashamed of Him. And everybody needs to understand that. This is a faithful church. This is a church that God, through Jesus Christ, looks at and says, I find no condemnation, even though I know you're not perfect, even though I know you have sins that you fight with and you struggle with, even though I know that you fall short in areas in your life, but because you have these things and they abound, I do nothing but commend you. Now, my question to you do you want to be that kind of Christian? This is the way. We'll pick up next week and we'll see the blessings and the promises for the faithful church.